You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief, broadcasting live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and uh, worldwide on highfm.com. We're broadcasting remotely still due to COVID, so our guests are interviewed via Skype audio. And while my guest, uh, Victor, is busy unmuting his uh, Skype, I'd just tell, like to tell you a little bit about him. He's a chartered accountant and certified fraud examiner and with 31 years of white-collar crime prevention experience. He currently leads the due diligence investigations department at MFA Forensics. Victor was the managing director of FSA Forensics PDY Limited for 12 years and has experiences working with businesses and clients in the investigation and detection of what we've always termed white-collar crime. Victor, together with his partner, Bongani Mfeka, who's a retired colonel in the SAPS Anti-Crime Unit, have successfully assisted the SAPS in numerous fraud-related convictions, much to the delight of aggrieved clients. And in his supplied bio, he goes on to say that, according to his wife, he's a lousy golfer, a pitiful jogger, but quite a good grandfather. Victor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. So you're a lousy golfer, yeah, unfortunately so. But you know, as you get over, as you get into your seventies, things start to creak and fall apart. So, I have a very good excuse. <laughs> Look, you've been in this industry for for over three decades now, thirty-one years, you say, and um, it's an interesting um, industry. And the, the topic of today's conversation is the evolution of private investigations over the years. So, I want to get your insight. You're a chartered accountant. You're also a certified fraud examiner with the ACFE. What changes have you experienced in respect of private sector investigations into fraud the last three decades? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that in my early days, when I first qualified, CAs were very ethical. They were held in high regard, and everybody said the CA said something, and he wrote, and he signed it, you could stick by it. But what's happened now, especially if you take the uh, Vendor Building Society Mutual Bank, the VBS, you watch the auditors that were involved there with such corruption and such fraud. I mean, KPMG, uh, they just certified everything that they were asked to certify. And uh, they, had, they are compelled to explain their silence. Okay. Now, the latest big private company to, to join the list of the clients involved in the corruption that was VBS, now, uh, Pricewaterhouse, Cooper. They were the internal auditors there. And there's something also a bit dodgy over there. So I found that lately when you ask, uh, get a report signed by a chartered accountant, it's not like the old days when you can say you can take it in, in stone. It's no longer in stone. You've got to really check what they've done and check the auditors. Uh, that's one big change that I've seen. The other change that I've seen is that everybody seems to be getting on the bandwagon of let's take what we can. If the government can do it, why can't we? Okay, and they justify it in that way. So if the government wants to take the money, we'll take it. And if we get caught, well, they're not going to jail, so why should we go to jail? So that's a major impact that I've seen. But now, if I go back to the early 2000s, there was that massive scandal in America, the Enron scandal. And very similar to what we've seen in South Africa, the auditors were implicated. And the result of that is we went from having the big five auditors to the big four because the Enron scandal caused the collapse of Arthur Anderson. Yes, Arthur Anderson was one. It was one of the biggest firms in the world. Yet we now see even bigger scandals, and there doesn't seem to be any form of responsibility 
or most importantly, accountability on the side of those auditors. Why do you think that's happening? Uh, I think it, it all has to do with bribes. It's all to do with bribery that uh, you'll, you'll get the partner involved in that audit. Uh, he'll get too involved. Uh, you shouldn't have an interest that's all not allowed. You can't have interest in your audit that you do. But these guys all have interest in it. I mean, in the VBS, the guys got loans. They were given loans by the company. And uh, it just didn't pay them, to be honest. That's it. It's that's unbe- it, bro. It, it's, it's unbelievable that, like you said, if you had the designation CASA after your name, there was such a sense of pride and what somebody wrote was set in stone. And we're now seeing in all aspects of, of, of professionalism in South Africa, whether it's the legal profession, the accounting profession, law enforcement, people falling foul. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. You used the term bribe. I'd like to use the term greed. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to chat more to Victor about the evolution of private investigation in South Africa and how this may be the turn that we need to try bring people to book. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. My name is Chad Thomas. This is Confidential Brief. And this week we're chatting to Victor Fox about the evolution of private investigations in South Africa the past three decades. Victor, before we went to break, we were talking about something that has become so synonymous with government in collusion with the private sector. And I like to remind people that there's a symbiotic relationship between the public sector and the private sector when it comes to fraud and corruption, because fraud and corruption can't happen without both those parties engaging. And that what we spoke about before going to break was greed. What have you seen change in respect of not just your field as a chartered accountant and now as well as being a certified fraud examiner, but in terms of what you've seen as an investigator when it comes to collusion in this huge greed conspiracy, if one can call it that? Well, first of all, you've got to take into account the economic situation of the time when the crime was committed. When times are good, everybody's fine. They're not watching. They're not looking carefully. But when times get tough, especially with the COVID pandemic, companies closing down, etc., in the economic downturn, the incentive of pressure to commit fraud is increased. Okay, that is financial pressure. It increases unrealistic corporate targets are set. And everybody's scrambling for whatever they can find. And checking on fraud in the company seems to fall, to, to fall away because they're cutting down on staff. Uh, they're cutting down on training. Uh, they're not worrying about their internal checks. that They just want to survive. And, of course, employees who are feeding the pinch even more so are taking advantage of this loophole. And they are just having a field day in uh, defrauding the companies for, for which they work. The problem then comes along that when we do get called in and we find out, and it's very quickly that you can find out that somebody's been, been stealing, now you have to get a docket done with SAPs. And SAPs are under such pressure. Okay, so what we do is we try and assist them in doing all their statements for them. But they, and the NPA, the prosecutors, they've got files going up to the roof. So it's so difficult uh, to get these things done at court. Okay, there's a problem. 
So that's why we try to assist. So with my partner, Mr. Bongani Bufeka, who's an ex-cop, we have the facility that we can go and assist the police. And they really do appreciate our assistance. So that takes me to a very interesting point, Victor. Um, you and I operate much in the same space. And often what will happen is, is we will have an inquiry in respect of a fraud that's taken place. And when we explain to a person how they've been defrauded, what needs to be done, they, they tend to become antagonistic. They believe that because they're paying tax, the police should be investigating this. The NPA should be immediately involved in prosecuting this. And they don't understand the, the purpose of engaging with a private investigator. Conversely, many people get defrauded, and the first thing they do is they go to an attorney. And an attorney follows processes that we would normally see in the civil context. They don't follow the criminal processes. Why do you think South Africans are so reluctant to go to private investigators? Is it because they don't understand the role of private investigations? Or is it because they're conditioned to go to the police station and to the lawyer? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, they don't understand the private investigator scenario at all. Uh, they're very reluctant to go to the police because they know that not, not much will happen if they do go to the police. Okay, so when they go to the attorney, the attorney will then take over. He'll go do a statement which will just not be satisfactory as far as the prosecutor or the investigating officer is concerned. So they eventually, well, the attorneys that we deal with, they come to us and we get on with the job. Okay, and uh, I must admit that all those our successful convictions are really greatly appreciated by the client and by the attorneys. So where's the disconnect that's happening at this point in time? We're seeing that there's three organizations in South Africa that really represent the interests of the public in showing the professionalism of what we term private or independent investigators. We've got CIRA, which is the regulatory body, which has a combination of 500 companies and individuals registered as private investigators in an industry that numbers, would that be the security industry, over half a million. You have the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, which is a self-regulatory body that that has a very strict mechanism in place to ensure that their members adhere to certain rules, protocols, and standards. And then, of course, you have the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners, also an, in a, a self-regulatory body. So you've got these three bodies that are managing the, the forensic investigation of financial-type crimes, yet I don't see this going down to the public. I don't see the public having a knowledge about the actual role of private investigators. I think there's still this disconnect that a private investigator is there to to investigate infidelity on the part of a, a marriage. Do you feel the same, or do you think the public are aware of the role that investigators can play? No, I think you're spot on. You talk about a private investigator, the guys immediately think the husband running around or the wife running around, the guy taking these loops of photographs and coming to the guy and saying, look what photographs I've got of your husband and your wife. That's how they envisage a private investigator, a, a private eye. That's what they consider him. So how do we communicate to the public at large that the role of a private investigator has changed so significantly? And how do we also justify to the public that they need to go to a professional prior to going to the police? Because I think one of the biggest frustrations the public has 
is that when they go to a police station to explain a complex financial crime that they've been a victim of, the police don't seem to understand the merits of it. And when they see somebody arriving with a trolley full of lever arch files, and they're trying to explain to them how they were a victim in that financial crime, it's a bit unfair to expect that a station police officer who's working in the charge office would have the necessary knowledge. Yet that's the first port of call. So what do we do? I think it's marketing. You can just market to the public what we can offer, how we can offer it, and how we can assist the police in, in doing their job. Now, that being said, they come, they get the necessary documentation, they give it through to a private investigator who's able to enroll a case. Does it end there? Or does the private investigator play a further role once the police are involved? No, the private investigator has to play a, fur a further role. I've just taken it from, from my point of view and my partner. We go right through, like for instance, we're going to be in court next week for a case that, that we've done. We have to follow it through. We have to make sure that the guy is arrested, that he's sentenced, uh, and that the sentence is adequate, that there's no bribing going on. And then we try, this is the hardest part, is to obtain the funds that were stolen, to try and get a refund for what the guy's done. Okay. So when you're talking about financial restitution and restorative justice, it's something that's, that's not just enshrined in our constitution. It's been around since the, 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 the Criminal Procedure Act was promulgated back in 1977. It talks about the sanction of financial restitution. It talks about how it can occur. The problem is... The courts at the moment are so full, the police are so overcapacitated that the difference the private investigator can make is to ensure that when the prosecutor gets a hold of that docket, they have an understanding because the elements have been proven. The problem, however, is convincing the public why there's a need to have that professional expertise. And I think in your case, you've been very reliant on the fact that you've had case successes and you've relied on referrals. You've also mentioned there needs to be more marketing in respect of the role played by investigators in South Africa. Where does this role of marketing lie? Should it be with the regulatory bodies, Sira? Should it be with the two self-regulatory bodies, ACFP and ICFP? Or should it be up to the private investigator himself to aggressively market what the industry is capable of? Well, Chad, I see the way you market your company, and honestly, uh, you're so well-known, okay, and you're only well-known because you market it. I don't think the CFEs or the Pacera, I don't think they've got the capacity to market, okay, so I believe it's the own individual company that's going to market themselves. Have a good website, have a good tag, tag session, and uh, you'll pick up the clients there, because I can't see it being marketed over the air, I can't see it being marketed on, in, in, in the press, it's just going to be done with good success. So whenever there's a good success, you, you get it put into the newspapers, into the social media. I, I, I hear you, and I agree with you partly. And I'll tell you why there's a part of me that disagrees with you. If you look at the security industry as a whole, it's now become the single biggest employer in the private sector. But people assume that CIRA only regulates security services that they can see, that being armed response, security officers, etc. They're unaware 
that other groups have been lumped under CIRA, including private investigators. You then have an organization like the ACFE and an organization like the ICFP, which although self-regulatory, want to portray this professionalism of independent investigations in South Africa. And I believe it's the role of the regulatory body and these two self-regulatory bodies to get the message out to the public so that the public can understand that private investigators, independent investigators, forensic investigators, forensic consultants, whatever name you want to give them, that are involved in the investigation of so-called white-collar crime, all types of frauds, all types of corrupt acts, have the necessary expertise, training, and professionalism, and can make a difference in the greater scheme of things. And as much as I agree with you that individually private investigators should be marketing themselves and the media should be reporting on those successes, I only believe that the credibility that should be associated with the industry will come as a result of the regulatory and self-regulatory bodies going out there and educating the public. True, but have they got the capacity to do that? Well, think about CIRA, for example. They've got over 570,000 active security officers, of which investigators, um, reaction officers, security officers fall under that ambit. Um, if you look at the funds that are derived through the training of the ACFE and the ICFP, they should have provision made to be able to not just source revenue by targeting individuals that are already active in the industry and offering them further training. They should also be telling the public because by telling the public, they're giving the industry the necessary credibility it needs so that the public at hand don't feel that they're taking a chance. They understand that if you have the designation CFE after your name, you've written the board exams with the ACFE. If you have the designation FPSA after your name, you've written the designated board exams of the ICFP, and you are the same as an accountant, you are the same as a lawyer, you are a professional, and you should be regarded as such. And I think that's the biggest issue we have at the moment. The reason why there aren't enough investigators um, being given instructions to get out there and to make a difference in terms of successful prosecutions is that the, the public are reluctant because they don't completely understand the role that's being played. So let's look at your industry, for example. You started as a CASA, you've moved across into this space, and you're making a valuable difference in respect of the cases you're investigating. Why did you make that move across? And has it been, for you, satisfying being able to make that move from accounting into forensic accounting and investigations and making that difference? Uh, well, I have to make a massive confession over here. I got scammed big time some some years ago. Uh, and why? Because I got greedy. Then I thought to myself, okay, there are a lot of guys that are trying to get scammed over here. Let me try and do something to try and stop it or try and catch all these guys. And that's when I went I did my CFE exam, and I've enjoyed every day since. I enjoy the investigation. I enjoy the, the court cases. I enjoy it immensely. Uh, auditing I found terribly boring. Commercial accounting... Even more so, but I really enjoy the forensic stuff immensely. But the problem is, is that RPIs, are they considered professionals or are they considered cowboys? I think you've hit the nail on the head. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what, what is a professional investigator and what is a cowboy. 
Okay, well, a professional investigator uh, would have a uh, some kind of degree be, a degree be, behind him, B A C A C F E something. The cowboy is a guy that came out of the cops and he was now to be a PI, and uh, he's using heavy-handed tactics to get what he wants done. So these are the guys that would be your debt collectors, but they'll be called investigators. And so I hear you, I hear you, and I, I think that is a, a huge misconception. People think that private investigators are guys that have, have maybe left the police, and some ex-policemen have made excellent private investigators, some haven't. A lot think that it's people that wanted to be police officers and couldn't make it. A lot think it's somebody that was a debt collector and is now morphed into an investigator. And I don't think they understand the legislation behind it. And this is what's so critical because you've brought up something that has really, really brought our industry into disrepute. We've had people who have called themselves private investigators who are not private investigators. And there are people in a completely different field of debt collection who are confused with private investigators. So let's clear that up once and for all. It's a criminal offense for somebody to portray themselves as a private investigator if they're not registered and in good standing with CIRA. And it's a criminal offense if somebody portrays themselves as a debt collector if they're not registered and in good standing with the Council for Debt Collectors. What's important for the public to understand is both are regulated by an act of parliament. Private investigators fall under the CIRA Act, 56 of 2001. Debt collectors fall under the Debt Collectors Act, 114 of 1998. These are two specific industries that have nothing in common. A, a, a debt collector may use a skill of investigation to try track or trace a debtor, but they are not, they're not performing a basic investigation the way you would. And then you hit on something very important. You mentioned qualifications. And I think that's so important. A person may not necessarily have a degree, but they should have a professional background as well as a qualification, such as a CFE or an FPSA, or be registered with SAIPI. And I think that's what's so critical, is that the people out there who, who need the use of an investigator more than anybody don't understand that there's that facility of people with the ability to investigate out there. If I could just jump in quickly. Just jump, jump in, in quickly. You okay. have to jump in. Okay. Yeah. Because if, if I know people that if I go to them saying, hi, I believe you've been scammed, something's gone wrong, you need help. If I have to say I'm a private investigator or I'm a forensic auditor, okay, who would they go for? I think they would go forensic auditor. Without a doubt. Because the connotation of private investigator is, as I said, a bit of a cowboy. You, you're understanding this as, as well as I do, and you can hear how passionate I'm, be, I'm becoming because it's an argument that's been had for such a long time is the confusion that's been caused. And one of the confusions was the fact that you've had people masquerading as something they are not. And it's something we're going to take up after the break. I'm chatting to Victor Fuchs today. It's an interesting invest conversation. It's all about investigations in South Africa and the important role investigations play. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. This is Confidential Brief live on 101.9 FM in Johannesburg and worldwide on highfm.com and the High FM app. 
So I'm chatting to Victor Fuchs, and it's a very passionate conversation because both of us operate in the same space, and that is financial crime investigation. And we're looking at the perception of an industry we both hold very close to our heart, and it's baffling to us why people still believe it's a cowboy-type industry. Victor, how do we change this perception? Oh, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, as I said, just uh, you need more exposure uh, on social media. You need more exposure in the press. Um, and probably need a, a better organization that runs private investigators, a more professional bunch, where you need to have some standard of education, some standard of uh, training in order to call yourself a private investigator. So you've hit the nail on the head. You really have. And I'll tell you why. For 20 years, I've ensured that high-profile investigations that have been undertaken by many private investigators are covered on investigative television shows, radio shows, and in print. And yet there's still this disconnect between the public and the role of private investigators. And I think you're right. It's, it's up to the bodies that regulate and enforce the industry to at the same time educate the public. People often wonder why I promote the good work done by other investigators considering there's so few of us. Well, simple. If more people turn to private investigators to assist them in complex financial crime, the more professional the industry will be, the more work there'll be in that industry. And I think this is something that you and Bongani are, are very passionate about. Yeah, for sure. We, we are. So going forward, do you think we as, as private investigators need to come together and petition our regulatory and self-regulatory bodies to budget to ensure that the public are made aware of the roles that we play? You know, I was thinking if you were called a private investigator, but would it change if you were called a certified private investigator? That's that, something might, that might enhance your uh, uh, reputation. So, so you're thinking that the term private investigator, because that's what the law says, Act 56 of 2001 defines a private investigator as a person appointed in terms of a mandate to investigate a third party. And it refers constantly to, to the terminology private investigator, private investigations. So you're saying perhaps they should add in front of that, not to be confused with the ACFE, perhaps they should put in front of the word private, Registered private investigator. Yes, yeah. That knows that that the, the guy that they're talking to belongs to a a reputable organisation. So herein lies a massive problem that the public are unaware of because they haven't been educated by the regulatory body. It is a criminal offence for somebody to hire somebody that falls under the auspices of a security service of which private investigations are defined there under without doing a due diligence and verifying that that person is in fact registered and able to perform that service. And that's a frightening thing for the consumer, that they, the onus is on them to, ins to ensure that somebody's registered. But it's very easy to find out if somebody's registered. The ACFE has a register, the ICFP has a register, and CIRA has a register. Do you think perhaps these bodies should come together and have one ad campaign on a national basis, or do you think all three should have independent ad campaigns? I don't know. I think these organisations, which are all great, I mean, I just know the CFE, they're a phenomenal organisation. 
I don't know if they want to like give up their uh, turf and share it with somebody. I don't know. I would. You'd, you'd have to liaise with them. I wouldn't know. But it's not a bad well, idea. We have to do something. Now, your organization, the CFE, has a back-to-back memorandum of understanding with CIRA. So your organization falls under the same code of conduct as other private investigators registered with CIRA. Right. And by virtue of that memorandum of understanding, you fall under that act. Correct. The ICFP, conversely, they are more on the audit side of things, and they want to fall eventually under an organization such as URBA. I think it's necessary that the public be made aware of the critical services that can be offered. So if you could give an example of one of the cases that yourself and your partner have worked on, perhaps that will identify in the minds of of our listeners what it is we can do. Okay, well, the latest one that that we've worked on, I was approached by, by a company. Uh, I've got a friend who owns a company, who's got another friend, and they've been defrauded by the accountant, by the assistant accountant. So what always happens is that they call us and they have already submitted the case. They've already opened a case at the police. And, of course, it's at the bottom of the pile. So now we have to go in over there and we have to retrieve the, the, the file. We have to get the A1 done properly, the affidavits done, the statement done. We do all that, and then we go and we interview with the investigating officer, and we have to advise him right up front that we aren't doing his job. We're assisting him. We're assisting him to make his job easier so we can reduce the workload. Okay, And they always do appreciate it. Uh, so we did the investigation. We did everything. Now we had to find the guy, and he had disappeared. So we did various searches, uh, internet searches, Facebook searches, and eventually we found him. Uh, contacted him and said, listen, we've opened a case. There's a warrant of arrest issued to you if you don't come in and talk to the investigating officer. So he actually came in, discussed his whole case. His case came up two weeks later. Uh, he had stolen four million rand. Uh, we had the proof. I had all my affidavits, had all my schedules proved without a doubt that he had it. Our Section 205As, we were all there. We had all the uh, copies of his bank statements proving that he had all the money. And uh, it was remanded for two weeks. And next week, uh, he should be going to uh, get a lengthy jail term. If he skips out, the warrant of arrest will be uh, executed. But uh, he seems confident. You know. But he's coming in. And uh, we worked with the police. Uh, we assisted the, the police. The client's ecstatic. All they want to do was get, was get him arrested. They have him arrested, and uh, the warrant is, was issued. He's come. He'll be in court in a week's time, uh, where he'll be in, incarcerated. And the client's ecstatic. Now the client says, can we get any money back? I said, well, restitution, there's, let's go one step at a time. Let's see where the money is. And the courts will ask him to say, where have you put all this money? So, Victor, what makes me excited about your business with Bongani is the fact that you as a CASA in good standing, together with being a CFE, means that when you make a statement and you refer to the accounts of that organization for which you are acting, it's from an empirical perspective and it's from somebody who's experienced and a professional in that regard. Your partner in this business is a colonel that operated in the commercial crime environment. 
the anti-corruption environment as well as the internal environment of saps and the hawks, which means that your statements are done in the manner and fashion in which the police expect. And I know a lot of yeah. people have problems trying to open cases, and it all comes down to that critical statement. What type of work are you able to do for the public at large, and more specifically for our listeners today? Well, if you've got a case that has been sitting un- at the bottom of, of the pile, and you know that the, it's a valid case, and it's been uh, held up because of lack of personnel, lack of enthusiasm as far as the SAPs are concerned, okay, if you contact us, we will go in there and we will extract that file. We will have a look at it and we will be able to figure out the status of it, whether there's any chance that we can do something with it. Because it's pointless uh, just going ahead if the if the suspect has disappeared or has gone back to Zim or, or he's disappeared t- totally. But nine times out of ten, and I mean that, nine times out of ten, we could resurrect that file and we can uh, execute a judgment. Well, I want to thank you for your time today because as emotive as I can become when it's a subject that's close to my heart, I think it's important chatting to people such as yourselves so that our listeners can understand that the private investigation industry is now a professional industry and it's filled with people who have spent their lives studying to be in a position to help others. And having somebody such as yourself who's a CASA as well as a CFE helps us to show the public at large just how professional the industry has become. We've posted all of Victor's details on our Confidential Brief radio show page, so you can go have a look at it. And Victor, I want to thank you for for your time today. And more importantly, I want to thank you for making the move into this industry all those years ago and bringing with it that, that, that credibility that the industry so rightly deserves. Only my pleasure, Chair. Thanks for having me. Victor Fuchs is a certified um, fraud examiner. He's also a chartered accountant in South Africa. He and his partner, Bongani, who's a retired colonel of the South African police and the Hawks, are available to assist in complex financial crime investigations. If you want to know more about them, there's going to be a repeat of the show during the course of the week, and the podcast will be uploaded within the next 24 hours. But more importantly, I've posted their details on the Confidential Brief radio show page on Facebook. Take a look. And remember, private investigations in South Africa are professionals. They are wanting to assist and they are needing to assist. But the onus is on you, the consumer, to make sure that the private investigator you are using is registered and in good standing with CIRA or with the ACFE or with the ICFP. Those are the three organizations in South Africa that are able to provide registered, abled, and professional, most important, and I'm going to say this three times, professional, professional, professional investigators that can assist with your complex financial crime. My name is Chad Thomas. Thank you so much for listening. And yes, as a disclaimer, I am a private investigator myself, but it is my hopes and my dreams to see that the industry be professionalized as best as possible. I'll be back same time, same place next week.